0: If we can make our way to our seats, we'll get started this morning. Good morning, good morning. It's good to see everyone. Welcome to Gateway Baptist Church. So good to see all of you. Welcome all of you watching us online. We're happy you're able to worship with us this morning. Just got a couple of announcements as we get started this morning. Um, Next Sunday, obviously Christmas Eve, very excited to be here to worship the Lord during that time. There will be no Sunday morning Bible studies, okay? No, no Sunday morning Bible studies next week. Um, the service will be at 1030 like we normally do. There will be no kids' worship during the sermon, so the kids will be in here with us. Um, but the preschool and the nursery obviously will be open down the hall. That's all available uh, for child care. But first through fourth grade will be in here with us worshiping next week at 1030 and no, no Bible study groups in the morning. And then that evening, a wonderful time that we get to experience each year at 5 o'clock on Christmas Eve. We will have our time of carols, communion, and candlelight. It's around a 45-minute to an hour-long service. We just come together in the spirit of Christmas to celebrate the incarnation of Christ. Uh, where we worship, we sing carols, we have um, some readings and reflections. Our pastor, Grady, will give a little devotional just regarding the incarnation and just the beauty of Christ's coming and then have a time of uh, communion together and worship. So very excited to be a part of that. We encourage and obviously invite all of you to be a part of that time together with us. The full holiday schedule of the next few weeks is on our website at gatewaybaptist.com and you can check out to look at all those uh, different things coming up in the future. This morning, I would like to ask Parker and Aaron Harris to come up, and they're going to lead us in our time of Advent in the joy of the Lord. Hey, good
1: morning, church.
2: Okay, I'm going to be reading Isaiah 12, if y'all want to get to it, or I'll just read and you listen. Um, On that day, you will say, I will give thanks to you, Lord. Although you are angry with me, your anger has turned away, and you have comforted me. Indeed, God is my salvation. I will trust Him and not be afraid. For the Lord, the Lord Himself, is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. You will joyfully draw water from the springs of salvation. And on that day, you will say, Give thanks to the Lord. Proclaim His name. Make His works known among the peoples. Declare that His name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for He has done glorious things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry out and sing, citizen of Zion, for the Holy One of Israel is among you in his greatness.
1: And from Luke 2, verses 8 through 11, it says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for every day you give us. Lord, I pray that today that you could teach us just what true joy is. Lord, I pray that we could see uh, the death on the cross and the risen Christ three days later. And, Lord, that would produce true joy in us. Lord, we we admit, we confess that we so often run to things in this world that do not produce true joy. Lord, we are... We are so distracted by what the world has without returning thanks to you as the giver of those gifts. And so, Lord, just this Christmas season, today in the service, and just every day that we live, Lord, we pray that you would just teach us about your joy, transform our hearts, change us. We cannot do it on our own, but, Lord, I pray that that we would have true joy that comes from knowing Christ. So Lord, I just pray that you would you would help us, that you would walk with us and be with us day after day. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Let's stand and worship
1: the Lord in the joy of the Lord.
3: joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive sacrifice on I come Lord be fast, Precious in His holy sight inside.
0: Thank you so much for that truth we just sung, God, that you are our stronghold, our rock, our security. Lord, we love that your word says that you hold us in the palm of your hand, God, we are sealed and secure in you because of your finished work of the cross. God, we thank you that you hold us in this time where even today, Lord, many here have struggles and grief and have been experienced tragedy and pain and loss. Different situations of life, relationships, family. But God, thank you for the, the assurance and the hope of that phrase that you hold us fast. That on a daily basis we can fall back into you and trust you and lean on you and know that your love and grace and mercy is there for us. That we get to experience that intimacy with the God of the universe. That you delight in one on one time with us. That you delight in for us to just hop in your lap as a child, hops in a father's lap, and you just hold us. We are secure in you. We get to lavish in your love and that intimacy, Lord. And for many in this room, God, just I pray that they're experiencing that with you right now, that they know how much you love them and you care for them, that your grace and mercy is there, that you're offering life, that you're offering salvation that only comes through the precious blood of Jesus being shed for us, through your resurrection power, and your ascended power, Lord, as you're right now sitting at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning over all things, that we can trust you in that as a faithful God. And Lord, that's why we come each week to offer up these prayers of petition and intercession on behalf of individuals and the nations and circumstances in our lives, knowing that you are God who hears and that you will act according to your will. Lord, today we lift up and thank you so much for our senior citizens, Lord, here at Gateway, our senior adults. We thank you for their lives and their wisdom and those that you have brought to us here to be examples for us, to be salt and light among us. Lord, I pray specifically as they encounter family this week and friends through the holidays, God, that they they recognize and realize, Lord, that you are still using them for your glory, that they have a purpose in being salt and light and sharing the gospel and sharing experiences where you've shown up time and time again in their lives, that they can be an encouragement to their family and friends this week, Lord. Give them divine appointments and opportunities to share your, uh, their faith and to share our stories throughout this week, Lord, where you have shown up in miraculous ways and just for you to receive honor and glory. And for those that may not be believers in their families, God, that there'd be that they would experience salvation this week, that you would bring people to saving faith this week through family gatherings and different situations, Lord. We pray that you would move in such a way through their lives and we thank you for them. Lord, we thank you for Rick and Tracy Groover. They've been a part of our faith family for a few months now, and they lead a ministry here in Montgomery called Global Impact. And, Lord, a part of their mission, as they say, is that they're a supply line for those on the front line as they provide humanitarian aid, food, safe drinking water, medical supplies, other resources all across the world to help missionaries all across the globe, Lord. And they even provide disaster relief here in the States when there's a need. We thank you for their lives. We thank you for their ministry. We pray, Lord, you continue to bless them with good health and wisdom and discernment as they strategize for 2024 and all the opportunities that they have as they're providing this wonderful aid and resources all across the globe. Continue, Lord, to keep them healthy, and thank you for their board and the other staff that they have, Lord. Just continue to bless this ministry as they take the gospel to the nations. And, Lord, we thank you. For our extended family here in Montgomery and today, Lord, we lift up Pastor Scotty Harris at Grace Point Church of Christ. He is a dear, dear friend to me and dear brother. Thank you for his life and getting to know him for many years. And he's been struggling with some health issues lately. And, God, we pray you continue to bless him and heal him and strengthen him as he preaches even this morning, Lord, to a precious church. And I know many there. Lord, you continue to use them over there on Ray Thorington Road and all the ministries that they're connected with in the city, God. Continue to bless their fellowship, bless his words this morning as he preaches it, your word, and give him just wisdom and vision, Lord, for the the new year for Grace Point of what you desire to do in and through that fellowship. And Lord, we thank you. We can pray for our family across the world. And Lord, this morning we lift up those in the Volta region of Ghana Um, that realize that Back in October, they had a massive flood in that area where 20,000 individuals' families were displaced from their homes who are now living in camps all throughout that region. And, Lord, we just lift up the Ghana Baptist Relief Group that is there who continue to bring aid, who continue to bring the gospel, to continue to show your mercy and love to those in that tragic situation. God, we pray that as the gospel goes forth, Lord, that people would come to saving faith, that they would look to you as their hope, that they would look to you as the the source of life and that you would bless them with opportunities by bringing food and medical supplies and water, all that they need in that community as they try to transform it and rebuild it in the Volta region. And Lord, we thank you of you're such a good God who provides for us. We ask you to bless the offering today that's been given online and here. We thank you for what you've provided for us. We pray you continue to give uh, the leadership wisdom and the staff and how we can Be good um, stewards of the resources you have blessed us with, God. We thank you so much for that. And lastly, Lord, thank you for our shepherd. We thank you for Grady. Thank you for his heart to teach us, to love us, to shepherd us well. Bless him today. Just speak to him, Lord. Give him wisdom and discernment as he comes, as your word comes forth. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And we pray that your kingdom come and your will be done as we continue to worship you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
4: While the kids are on the move, if you'll find Genesis chapter 3 in your copy of God's Word or in your Bible app, Genesis chapter 3, we are on a year long journey through the first 11 chapters of Genesis, looking at these foundations of our faith. Now, over the last two weeks, we have seen the perfection of God's world come crashing down. We saw Satan tempt Adam and Eve, we saw him questioning God's words and the truthfulness of God's words, we saw him questioning God's very character, whether God could be trustworthy. And honestly, that's the same thing He is still doing today. We saw Adam and Eve choose to follow that temptation into sin. And then we saw the devastating effects, and just now beginning to see the devastating effects of the sin in their lives as brokenness comes throughout the world. Now, friends, I want to remind us at the outset of this text this morning that what we're looking at is historical. This is God's very revelation for us of world history, this explains for us the brokenness we see in the world today, the sin that is so rampant in the world today. So we are looking at a historical text, but also I want to make sure we do not lose sight of the fact this is not just historical. That was that. This is also instructional for me and for you. Before we jump into Genesis this morning, I want to remind you what it says in Romans, in Romans chapter five, verse twelve. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, who we've been looking at here, and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all sin. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, you and I now have a sin nature. None of us are born good. We are born with a sin nature. Therefore, we sin and we sin daily. So as we come to Genesis 3, we are seeing not just the historicity of where the first sin came from. This points us back to the sinfulness of our own hearts. It shows us our own depraved nature. It warns us of the deceptiveness of, of sin in our lives. It warns us of doing the very things that Adam and Eve themselves first did. Now think back to what we saw last week in Genesis 3, 7, and 8. When Adam and Eve sinned, what was their response? What did they do? Glance back for a view at verse 7 of Genesis 3. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. As we saw last week, Adam and Eve immediately felt shame from their sin, And they made this very feeble attempt to deal with the shame themselves. We saw last week it was not sufficient because, friends, there's nothing you and I can do in our own to mask our shame and to deal with our sin in our own strength. And Adam and Eve quickly realized that, so you come to verse 8 that we saw last week. And when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. When they remembered that God was there, they were terrified because of their sin and because of their shame, and so they hid. And like I mentioned last week, friends, we do the same thing. We all sin every day. We feel the shame of it, and so we try so often to hide from God instead of running to Him. Now, most of us aren't literally hiding in the bushes around our house or in the trees of our backyard to hide from God, but we find a million other ways to try to hide from God so I was studying on this text this week. I came back across something that tied into what we saw last week and launched us into what we're seeing this week. I don't read this to you. There's a guy from, by the name of John Bloom. He said, we hide in our homes and we hide away from our homes. We hide in our rooms and in our offices. We hide in our housework, our yard work, and our garage puttering. We hide behind computers and phones and newspapers and magazines. We hide behind our earphones and Netflix and ESPN. We hide behind fashion facades, educational facades, career facades. Facebook facades and, yes, pulpit facades. We hide in busyness and we hide in procrastination. We hide in outright lies or diversionary conversations. We hide behind sullenness and humor. We hide behind bravado and timidity. We hide in extroversion and introversion. The reality is, friends, we all in many ways try to hide from God instead of running to Him for the help that we, that we need. And that's the very thing we see happening and setting the stage for our verses this morning. Adam and Eve have realized their sin and realized their shame, and so they are hiding from God. But thankfully, that's not the last word in this story of Genesis 3. This is not the end of the story. Now, friends, it could have been. God is completely just and holy, and when Adam Eve sin, and instead of running to God, run to the bushes and the trees to hide, God could very justly and righteously just strut them down right there and ended human history, and he would have been holy and good and right for doing so, but he did not. So today in Genesis chapter 3 verses 9 to 11, we come to the first words God speaks to his sinful creatures here. Now we talked a lot in Genesis in the first three chapters about the importance of first things. Today we come to verses 9 through 11 of chapter 3, the first words the Holy Creator speaks when he addresses his sinful creation that has rebelled against him. So what are the first things God says to Adam and Eve in their fallen state? And not just what did he say but why? What was God doing here and how he spoke to Adam and Eve in their broken, sinful state? Now, so I want you to look for that as we read today. What did God say, but why? What is God doing towards Adam and Eve in these verses? Genesis 3, verses 9 through 11. I'm going to ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Genesis 3, 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who pursues his people. And Lord, even as we just sang a moment ago, that you hold us fast. Lord, we're so thankful it's not our feeble grip trying to hold on to you. It's not us running after you, but God, you are the one who has pursued us and is holding us. And I pray that would give us hope this morning. So use your word to shape us and mold us and make us more into the image of Christ, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, I want us to go ahead and give you the main idea of this text, and then I want to unpack it with you. But here's the truth I want you to see from this text this morning. Simply this, friend, God pursues his people to bring them to repentance. The key idea of verses 9 to 11 here is God's pursuit of His people and His pursuit to bring them to repentance. God does not leave Adam and Eve hiding in the trees and the bushes. He pursues them, yes, to confront them in their sin, but also not just to confront them and strike them dead right there. He pursues them to confront them, to bring them to a place of repentance. And we see that in the beauty of the questions that God asks of them right here. The very first words of a completely holy God to His rebellious creatures Are questions to them to draw them to a place of repentance. Now, friends, there's a warning for us here before we dive into exploring that in this text. I'm convinced if we properly understand these verses here, it'll do one of two things for us this morning. For some of us here, these verses are going to give us thankfulness and hope. Because when you read these verses of God pursuing Adam and Eve, it'll remind you of God's love for you and remind you how God has not left you in your own sinful patterns. These verses will give you thankfulness because you will see, yes, God has chased me too. And he's broken me of that sin pattern. He's changing me of that sinful attitude. And you'll be able to see God's grace pursuing you. And it'll make you thankful because you realize God has done this with you. But it'll also make you hopeful as well because you know you still have sin in your life just as I still have sin in my life. And we realize that God is not done with us yet. And just as he pursued Adam, he will continue to pursue us. So for some of you today, this text is going to give you thankfulness and hope. My prayer is that if you know Christ and are walking closely with him, I pray it would do that today. But the reality is, for some of you, this text may make you uncomfortable. Because this brings us back to the truth that God hates sin. And particularly, God hates my sin. And God hates your sin. And some here, perhaps, are like Adam and Eve, who are hiding their sin and running from God instead of running to God. We have such a tendency to make excuses and justify our sin. And some of you may have hidden your sins really well from your spouse, your kids, your small group, your friends, your co-workers, even from the church leadership. But you know deep down that God knows the sin strongholds in your life. And God is pursuing you. And the thought of God pursuing you makes you really uncomfortable because you fear exposure. You fear having things brought to the light. And my prayer for you, if that's you today, because the text would do that. It would make you uncomfortable in your sin because you know God doesn't want to leave you where you are. So with that in view, let's dig into this text and see God's pursuit of his people. Now, to start with, these verses are not primarily about us. You hear me say this all the time. These verses are about God, that he is the focus, he is the emphasis, he is the subject of it all. Go back to verse 9. But there's a big change coming. Adam, and Eve, are hiding, so what's God going to do? But the Lord God. Now, just stop right there. You've seen this name of God all throughout Genesis so far. There's that combined name of God, Yahweh Elohim. Elohim, the powerful creator who spoke everything. Yahweh, the covenant God who pursues and relates to his people. And don't miss the significance of this. Adam and Eve have changed. They have sinned. They have fallen. But God has not changed. God is still pursuing them. God is still a holy God. He is still the creator. And so the changing man and woman are being pursued by an unchanging God. And we see that in his name. This is Yahweh Elohim who is pursuing his people. So he's a subject here. He's also all the verbs are tied to him. It's all about what God has done. Not about what we have done or what Adam and Eve have done. Verse 9. But Yahweh Elohim, he called to the man. He said to him. Verse 11. He, Yahweh Elohim, said. These verses are... Are all about God, Yahweh Elohim, and what He has done. He called. He said. He said. This is all about God's initiative. God is not up in heaven going, "Okay, I'm just going to wait for Adam and Eve. Let's see how long they hide in the trees, and I'll wait for them to come." That's not what God is doing. He's not sitting up in heaven twiddling his thumbs, going, "I wonder when they're going to pray a sinner's prayer and come back to me." He's not doing that. He's initiating. He is pursuing. He is giving grace to the undeserving. One of the authors I read this week said it so well. This author said, God came seeking the hiding sinner. And here we find the first sight of grace in the Bible. The first expression of kindness. The first indication that there might be a possibility of reconciliation. In other words, God, the holy God, Yahweh Elohim, pursues Adam and Eve when they did not deserve it, when they were not seeking Him. In fact, when they were hiding from Him, He is running towards them to bring grace. And he does so with three questions to them. Look at the first question in verse 9 here. But the Lord God called to the man, and the Lord God said to him, Where are you? Now, important clarification for this and other questions. God knows the answer. God is not asking them for this because he's not sure where they are. Now, if you've been around Gateway any length of time, you know these words, but they're important we need to be reminded. First of all, God is omnipresent. That means God is everywhere. There's nowhere you can go, Psalm 139, to escape the presence of the Lord. So they're hiding in the trees and they're forgetting the fact that God is hiding in the trees with them right there. He is right there with them. There's nowhere you can go away from God's presence. He's omnipresent. God is also omniscient. That means he is all-knowing. He knows their thoughts, that they're hiding in their head. They're not even sharing with each other. He knows those thoughts and he knows what they're going to say before they even say it. So he knows everything. So God is not asking them, where are you? Because he's not sure what tree they're behind. He's not asking them, where are you, because he's hoping that maybe they will answer here. God knows everything. He's asking this because they need to be reminded that he is already there. They need to be reminded that he already knows. And they need to be reminded that they need his help. And so here in the midst of their sin and rebellion, he's manifested his presence in a special way physically. Go back to verse 8 from last week. They heard the sound of the Lord God of Yahweh Elohim walking In the garden, so God has made it very clear. Though He's always there and everywhere, He's made it very clear He's there in a special way. And now He manifests His presence audibly. Of verse nine, the Lord God calls to the man. The Lord God says to him, He is making sure they know the all-knowing, omnipresent God is right there with them. And so He asks them this question in verse nine: "Where are you?" Now He asks them this question because He's helping them realize their sin. He's basically saying to Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, I know you are there, but why? You think in your own heart, Adam and Eve, why are you hiding in the bushes and the trees instead of coming to me? God is drawing them out. He's inviting them, saying, I made you to be with me. Why are you running from me instead of running to me? So this question, friends, is not a question of information for God. It's an invitation from God to Adam and Eve to come be honest with God about their sin to come run to him instead of running away from him, to come confess their sins and to seek his forgiveness and help. But as we'll see in a few minutes, that's not what Adam and Eve do. They do not show repentance here. So God asks more questions. Go down to verse 11. Notice the second question that God asks of them. He, Yahweh Elohim, said, Who told you that you were naked? So let's just pause on that one. God began gently, Where are you? This invitation to come out. Now he presses a little bit harder into them. He highlights the very thing that Adam and Eve are most ashamed of, that is their nakedness. He brings to the forefront the very thing that they don't want to deal with, and he asks them in verse 11, who told you that you were naked? God knows the tendency of the human heart for Adam and Eve, and for me, and for you, to want to avoid dealing with our sin. So God makes Adam and Eve come to terms with it by graciously pointing out the very thing they don't want to deal with. And in particular, God is helping Adam see that his shame is a result of his own sinful choices. He can't blame anyone else. Think about this question he asked Who told you that you were naked? Now, the answer is pretty obvious. No one told him that. There were no neighbors at the time to walk out in their backyard and be like, Oh, Adam, no, cover up, please. What are you doing? There was no other humans, it was just Adam and Eve. This was not Narnia. The animals didn't talk, so there were no squirrels or owls to come fly and by and be like, what are you doing? Cover up. There's nothing to have said that to him. Who told you? The answer is implied. No one did. He just knew it himself. Why? Because he had chosen to sin. Therefore, he had brought the shame upon himself. God is using a question to help Adam and Eve own up to their own sin and acknowledge that their sin has created the condition in which they are in. In other words, this question was a more pointed question, but again to help Adam and Eve confess their sins and come to terms with their sin. But before they can even respond, God gives a third question to them that perhaps is the most pointed of all of them. He said back in verse 11, Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Now this is the most pointed of all three of the questions. One of the authors I read said this question is a graced arrow. It's an arrow that pierces... But it is graced, it is an arrow because it pierces deep into Adam and Eve's soul and it pierces into our soul as well. Notice how God describes the tree differently here than previously. Previously, think back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. What was the tree called? Out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life is in the midst of the garden, and here's the name of the tree of the knowledge. Now in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 2, you see it called the same way by God again. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But then he says in verse 17, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God has been very clear this tree is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But he doesn't call it that here in verse 11. He changes the focus. Notice verse 11. Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not eat? To eat. In this question, God is asking in such a way to make sure Adam understands what he did was not about the tree itself. What he did was in relation to God. That what he did was a violation, a direct violation of God's command. He's helping Adam realize his rebellion against God. Adam and Eve were coming face to face with their holy creator. He was asking this graced arrow, this pointed question of their sin against him, their direct rebellion against him. But though that question hurts... This question, friends, don't miss this, is full of grace. Because Adam, because God is giving Adam and Eve the words they need to repent if they'd be willing to do so. God, in a sense, puts the right words in their mouth and shows them what to say. It shows them how to confess and repent. And look back at verse 11. Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? All they have to say is, yes. I did, God, what you said not to do. I did eat of that tree. I did break your command. Yes, God, I sinned. God makes it as easy as possible to repent by even telling them, giving them this opportunity that he's drawing them out to a place of repentance. As we'll see the week after Christmas in the verses that follow, it's not for today, but we'll see that's not what they do. They continue hiding from God and worship. They begin to blame God and blame one another for their sin. But for today, I want us to focus in on what God is doing in these questions. He is pursuing them to call them to repent. Now, that raises a big question for us. We use the word repent a lot. What does it mean to repent? Now, some of you study that, but if you've not to repent, repentance is dealing with how we respond to sin in our lives. And repentance is pretty important, it's very important. And repentance involves all of us, it involves our mind, our emotions in our will. If we truly biblically repent in our mind, we agree with God's standard. Yes, God, I have done what you said not to do. No, God, I've not done what you told me to do. We're acknowledging mentally God's standards, we're accepting it, and so we're confessing where we've disobeyed. But repentance is more than just mental. Repentance is also emotions. Biblical repentance involves sadness over our sin. We grieve how our sin has offended God. We grieve how our sin has hurt other people. So there's a God-given desire, a Holy Spirit-given desire in our hearts to not want to keep doing that. So biblical repentance says, yes, God, your standard is right. I've broken it. And God, I'm sad over it. But repentance is more than it involves our will. Repentance is a commitment to seek God's grace to change. Repentance is not, God, I'm sad I did that, but I'm going to do it again tomorrow because I know you're going to forgive me. That's not repentance. Repentance is our mind accepting God's standard. It's our emotions. It's sad that we've offended God and hurt other people. And it's our will that goes, God, I can't change, but I want you to change me. Please change me. And that is what God is coming to Adam and Eve doing, giving them these three things to do. Where are you? Come, acknowledge your sin and your minds acknowledge my standard is right. Who told you you were naked? He's saying, come, feel the weight of your sin. Come, be broken. Over your sin and grieve it. Have you eaten of the tree? I've not command, I've commanded you not to do. He's saying, Come, seek my forgiveness and help. I want to change you. God is pursuing the first sinners here, calling them to repent, which is the very thing Jesus came to do. What we celebrate at Christmas and in Easter, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Notice what Jesus said his mission was the Son of Man came to seek, to pursue, just like we see here, and to save the lost. That's why in just a few chapters earlier in the parables, Jesus explains God's pursuit of lost people. In Luke chapter 15, verses 8 to 10, one of many parables we could look at, Jesus says, What woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me. For I have found the coin that I had lost. And in verse 10, he says, Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Friends, I hope you see as we study scripture, God doesn't change. The God of Genesis is the God of Luke in the New Testament. You don't have a God of the Old Testament, God of the New Testament is different. God is unchanging. He's immutable in His being. And so God has, from the beginning of Genesis, has been seeking the lost. Jesus came to seek the lost, and He has been pursuing you as well. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and that's what He was doing all the way back in Genesis 3. Tragically, Adam and Eve rejected. it. They don't pursue God in response to his pursuit of him. Go back to verse 10, the first part of Adam and Eve's response here. And he, Adam, said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Friends, there's no repentance in what Adam says here. Do you realize in this verse, Adam never deals with his sin? He doesn't even acknowledge his sin here. He confesses his shame Not his sin. Don't miss that. There's a big difference. He confesses his shameful feelings, but he doesn't deal with his sin. He talks about his feelings, he doesn't talk about God's standard. And, friends, that's what so many people still do today. If they do bother to talk to God about their sin, they don't deal with their sin. They talk about their shame or their feelings. They never deal with God's standards. And, friends, an important lesson for us from Genesis 3 is that being sad about the consequences of sin is not repentance. Please don't miss that. Being sad about the consequences of sin is not the same thing as repentance. I can't tell you how many times I've heard, oh, that brother or that sister, they must truly love God. Look at how sad they are. Tears over consequences of sin does not mean true biblical repentance. In fact, you see this in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. This is such a helpful verse for us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas, notice this, Worldly grief produces death. You can grieve over sin in a way that does not lead you to repentance. Just because you're sad over the consequences of sin does not mean it's producing life in you. Adam and Eve obviously felt shame. They felt sad over the consequences of sin, but there's no evidence here at this point that they had a repentance that was leading to salvation yet. They were not grieving their offense against God. They were only grieving the pain they themselves felt I love how John MacArthur describes it. He says, Depravity is not just seen in man's inability to stop sinning. Depravity is really seeing deeper his penchant for avoiding repentance. Don't miss that. Depravity is avoiding repentance. Even when he can see the sin, experience the sin, feel the guilt, feel the shame, even when confronted by God, he will do anything and everything to deceive and evade and shift the blame away from himself. He will do anything to avoid God if he can, But when he's finally confronted by God, he will not acknowledge his own sin. And that's the essence of depravity. And friends, there's so many still today, like Adam and Eve, what 2 Corinthians 7 warns us of, who may feel the guilt and the shame of their sin, who may feel the weight and the sadness of what their sin has done to their marriage, to their friends, to their job, but that's not biblical repentance. Biblical repentance produces a life. It's acknowledging our sin to God. Dealing not with just the emotion, but dealing with the sin itself. It is our sadness, not over the pain we felt, but the sadness over how we've offended a holy God and the sadness of how our sin has hurt other people. And it's a desire to change, saying, God, change me and shape me. And so what Adam and Eve model for us is what not to do when we sin. So where do we find a model of what we should do and what they should have done? I suggest a good model is what King David did? He committed grievous sins, too. He committed grievous sexual sin, and he murdered someone as well. But God pursued him, just like God pursued Adam and Eve, just like God pursues you as well. God pursued him. 2 Samuel chapter 12, this is God's pursuit of David through the prophet Nathan. God speaks through a prophet, and Nathan says to David, You are the man, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anoint you king over Israel. And I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. Verse 8. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms. And gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And as if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. And then in verse 9. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? Now just pause there, friends. We're so deceitful in our hearts about our sin. When we choose to disobey God, we are despising the word of the Lord. Adam despised the word of the Lord. Eve despised the word of the Lord. King David despised the word of the Lord, and you and I in our lives very regularly are despising the word of the Lord too. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? To do what is evil in his sight. You've struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife. You've killed him with a sword of the Ammonites. God mentions no words and comes after David and confronts him in his sin, just as God confronted Adam and Eve in their sin. But God, but David responds very differently. He doesn't start to blame others like we'll see Adam and Eve do in two weeks. He doesn't just make, deal with the emotions. He deals with his sin. And Psalm 51 is David dealing with his sin after this. In Psalm 51, notice how David begins. I'd encourage you to read the whole Psalm. I just want to highlight a few parts of it today. But Psalm 51, he says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Now, do you notice the difference in what Adam and Eve did? Adam and Eve dealt with the emotions they felt. David began with his sin. Adam, he dealt with what they were feeling. David began with God's assessment. He says, Against you and you only have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your and blameless in your judgment. Now, just stay there for a minute. He is confessing his sin. He's acknowledging the holiness of God's sinner. He's not making excuses for what he did. Rather, he says, God, I've sinned against you. I've done what's evil in your sight. You are just. In condemning me. You are just in bringing guilt upon me. I have offended you. So what does he do? He deals with his sin and asks for forgiveness. Verse 9 in Psalm 51. He says to God, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. So he doesn't run from God like we see Adam and Eve doing hiding. He runs to God, deals with his sin, and asks God's Forgiveness, But it's more, because remember, repentance is a desire to change. And what follows in the next three verses is his desire for change. Create in me a clean heart, O God. He's saying, don't leave me an adulterer. Don't leave me a murderer. God, change me. Put these behind me. Create in me a new nature. And he says, renew a right spirit within me. He keeps going in his prayer there in verse 11. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit. Me. Verse 12, he keeps going. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. And he wants this transformation so noticeable and so extreme. Verse 13, he even prays this. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. you say, God, he said, make my change so obvious that others around have an opportunity to repent as well. I want to be clear here on this, though, friends. When David confesses and deals with a sin Biblically, like this, it doesn't make the problems go away. The baby still dies. There's still the pain in the generations that will follow. We do not repent to make our lives easy and not have any consequences. God never promises to take away all the consequences. We repent to get right with God. We repent so our guilt is dealt with by Christ on the cross. David was looking ahead to the Messiah who would come, who would take his guilt. And we look back to the Messiah who's has come, what we're celebrating next week at Christmas, who has taken our guilt for us. So we do not go to God in repentance so all the problems go away and it never happened. We go to God in repentance to be restored to a right relationship with Him and to get Him to change us. And so, friends, what we see in Genesis 3, what we see in Psalm 51 is God pursuing His people to bring them to repentance. Now, for Adam and Eve, they were lost in their pride. In their pride, they refused to deal with their sin and further ran from God. But what I just read to you in Psalm 51 was David not in pride but in humility, dealing with his sin, grieving over his sin, and seeking God's grace to transform him and to change him. Now, with this, friends, there's an important warning for us if we think about these examples here. Because God pursues his people when they continue to live in sin. And one of the things that concerns me so much in the American church in particular is the number of people who are lost and trapped in the bondage of sin who seem to have no pursuit of God going after them. Hebrews 12 gives us a very sobering warning about this. and Hebrews 12 it says, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises everyone whom he receives. So friends, if in your life you have sin that you're clinging to and there's no conviction from God... There's no pursuit of God after you. You have to ask the question, do I even know God to begin with? Two verses later in Hebrews 12, it gets even more serious for us. If you are left without discipline, in which all participate, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Hebrews 12 is very clear to us that God will pursue His children, that God loves His children too much to leave them lost in their sins. And so when we as His children sin, God doesn't look at us and be like, ah, that's okay. He loves us too much to leave us there. So like Adam, he comes and he pursues us. Like David, he pursues it. He brings our sins to the light, sometimes through the work inside of us, sometimes through the word, sometimes through other believers who find out, but God is going to pursue his people to bring them to repentance. So friends, if you are in Christ, God is going to pursue you to bring you to repentance. If you're in Christ, you already have saving grace, but he doesn't start there. He pursues you with transforming grace. And so the question for each one of us today is how are we responding to the pursuit of God? If you don't know Christ, he's pursuing you through his word right now. And you're seeing him. He's revealing himself of his character and his nature. And he's calling you to repent and believe. But if you know Christ, he's calling to you to not run from him when you sin, but to run to him for forgiveness and help.
0: And so my question
4: for us this week is simply this, friends. Are we like King David We've humbled ourselves before the Lord. When God confronts us through his word, through community, through the work of the Holy Spirit, when he confronts us in our sin, do we own our sin? Do we confess it to him and agree with him on it? Do we seek his forgiveness? Do we seek his transforming grace to change? Friends, are we more like Adam and Eve? Hiding from God, hiding from others, making excuses, justifying, trying to drown out whatever we're feeling so that we do not have to deal with it. Friends, how are you responding to God's pursuit of you? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are the holy God, the creator of all. Thank you that you are a God who made us, that none of our lives are by accident, but you formed each one of us, and you shaped us in our mother's womb, and you've made us to know you and to love you. And Lord, we just confess how far short we fall of what you've made us to do, how far short we fall of glorifying you and loving you and loving other people. But Lord, we know that you love us too much to leave us lost in our sinful patterns so, Lord, for those who in this room know you and love you and have been experiencing your transforming grace, I pray the heaviness of this text would actually give them hope, knowing that you have loved them so much that you pursued them, that you're not done with them yet. And I pray that they would leave this morning with hearts full of thankfulness and hope, knowing that you are still at work in them to make them more like Christ. But I want to pray for the believers who are here, perhaps who have been hiding their sin really well. You know the propensity of each one of our hearts to want to hide our sin and not deal with it. And I pray today, Lord, that you make them uncomfortable in their sin. They would have their eyes open to the lies of the enemy, much like Adam and Eve have been lied to by the enemy, to realize they're hiding their sin. is not gonna do any good to them, to you, to the church, to their workplaces, their friends, their family. I pray that today that you would pursue them in such a way that those lies would be shattered and they would deal with their sin instead of hiding from it. Lord, if there's someone here, an adult or even a child, who doesn't know you, who's never found the joy and the freedom of walking with you, would you pursue them this Christmas season? Would they come to realize their need for you and not hide behind things they've done or church involvement, but would come to see that their only hope is in the gospel of Christ and your grace changing them? So Lord, we thank you that you can meet each one of us where we are. Or you can take a text like this and speak to people in all different seasons of life and all different walks of life and all different places in their relationship with you and change each one of us as we need change. So as we walk into this Christmas week, we simply ask that you be transforming us and shaping us, that you would continue pursuing us to make us who you desire for us to be. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song this morning?
3: Sufficient, merit, shining like the sun, a fortune.
4: pray on our behalf to close us out. If you need someone to pray with you before you leave today, or it's about finding the hope of Christ, or it's about some sin struggle that you've kept headed, I want some of our elders to be available for you after the service. So maybe if William and Greg and Rick, if you guys could come up front here and just These are men who are on the elder team who pray regularly for you as a church body and who teach and want to shepherd you as well. If any of us can pray with you, please don't leave here today with a heavy burden on your heart or with some conviction from the Lord and not deal with it. We want to talk to you and pray with you if we can. Let's close in prayer. Father, what incredible truth we've just proclaimed. That we come before you, we can stand before you forgiven, clothed in Christ's righteousness with a merit that is not our own. We only come with our sin and with all the filth that we bring. And you came and you pursued us and you took that filth and put it on Christ and he bore the wrath that we should have spent an eternity bearing so that his righteousness could be put on us. God, as we go through this Christmas season, the next week or two of all of our celebrations, help us not just think about the baby in the manger, but be turning our hearts to the cross and what Christ came to do to seek and to save the lost, but help us realize the wonder. You came to seek and to save us. You did not leave us being treated as our sins deserved, but you've forgiven us and you've pursued us. You've given us saving grace and transforming grace. So Lord, I pray for my own heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters. This Christmas season, we would worship you as we think about your pursuit of us. Lord, we pray that you would give us many opportunities not only to celebrate and think about your grace this Christmas season, but to point others to it as well. We know we'll interact with family members and friends and coworkers and people in our neighborhood who do not have the hope of that all-sufficient merit we just sung about. So help us see people this Christmas season the way you see people. Give us your heart for the people around us and help us speak the love and the hope of Christ to those we come in contact with. We ask it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday afternoon.